You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by SolarAy Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy. And joining me as usual is David Leach, um, contributor to Renew Economy and your own shingle ITK analyst. How are you, David? I'm very well, thanks, Giles. I trust all our listeners, wherever they may be, are also well. And I'd like to uh, welcome our special guest this evening. Yes, look, our special guest today is Dylan McConnell from the Climate and Energy College down in Melbourne. Dylan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no worries, Giles, and uh, great to be on the show. Yeah, well, thanks for thanks for joining us. And look, um, I'd just like to give a bit of a shout out and thanks to you for all the wonderful graphs that you provide. And uh, you're also one of the co-authors of the Open NEM widget, which is giving us and uh, all our readers and anybody else who uh, uh, clicks on and, and has a look at a, a fascinating insight into the evolution of the Australian electricity market. Uh, it's one of the great frustrations of the energy market that it is so opaque, no one seems to know what's going on, and having these sorts of widgets which tell us in real time how much wind and solar and gas and coal there is and how much demand there is and uh, the, the, the price, it's, it's just fantastic. Uh, Dylan, just give us a brief overview. Why did you do this? Is it just the in, in, in the interests of uh, clarity? And what else do you have in mind to add to it? Well, I guess there's a, a couple of reasons. A, a, a big one is about improving uh, access to this this information and data. It's actually all publicly available information. Uh, in fact, the, um, the our market operator is one of the most transparent in the world. It's just it's just very difficult to actually uh, access that or understand that. You essentially need to have a, a pretty good grasp of um, uh, you know, data management and different data management skills to actually be able to access this. So it's actually not about necessarily improving transparency, but making it more accessible to a, a wider range of uh, stakeholders and also other researchers as well. Basically, well, you, well, you could say that you, as well. you could say that a picture or a graph tells a thousand words and uh, perhaps a picture or a graph tells about 10,000 lines of uh, Excel data. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what else have you got in mind to add to it? A big part of what we want to add is actually um, uh, basically going back in time. At the moment, we only really show the sort of current, uh, you know, what's been happening in the last week, and we're we're soon to be adding uh, the ability to to basically go back to have a look at any particular uh, period of time in the in the history of the NEM, and, and also have a look at uh, I guess um, aggregated data. So instead of just looking at power data, looking at at energy, and uh, hopefully one day emissions. That will be a, a, another big uh, feature we would like to add. I'd also like, for those, uh, and it's wonderful what Dylan's doing, but I'd also like to add, uh, with reference to the data I use, which comes from Global Rome and NEM Review, that's, that's uh, certainly a commercial service and, and you have to pay for it, but I, uh, I'd just like to point out that it's out there in the market and uh, has all that history and does a great job as well, and transparency is certainly going to be needed. Uh, and of course, it's one thing to have the data, and it's another thing altogether to actually be able to understand what um, even the information what it means for the future look i think you're quite right to point out uh, from the guys at nem watch and uh, visitors to renew economy website can actually see both widgets uh, on our website 
and uh, both give some fascinating insight. Now, in the interest of market transparency and insight, David, um, we're going to talk about the National Energy Guarantee for a little while. It's a curious beast, and what we saw last Friday was the release of an update, some of the detailed parts of the policy which has to be approved in just two months' time by the COAG Energy Council. It's an extraordinary beast. It proposes an emissions obligation and a reliability obligation. It admits that the reliability obligation probably won't be triggered because there is actually no reliability issue. All independent analysis seems to tell us that the emissions target will probably be all but met and have a very minor role really out to 2030 because the targets are so low. Given that, and I think that you argue that really, as far as investment signals, it is very, very low on the on the agenda in the great scheme of things. Maybe it should be more. But it is important that we get this detail right, isn't it? Because you never know. A new government might come in place. We might get more higher emissions targets and uh, that will have to play a proper role and it needs to be correctly put together, really. Yes, you raise a number of points there, Giles. The first thing I'd uh, argue is that the NEG was built in such a haste. It was announced without the usual things that a company... Uh, strong government policy like a white paper and a green paper and and a background document uh, that normally takes months to put together that explains of the various policy options why the energy was the best one of a selection and in my view it's it's it shows the fail it it rather is something that was cobbled together in a hurry for a mainly political purpose to get electricity off the front page of the newspaper and to provide something that was acceptable to the right wing of the current governing party that they could they could get away with. Uh, that said, we, we're all going to have to live with it. And I guess the point I would make that of the various things that are going on in the electricity market at the moment, it's the least important. And nor would I be so sanguine about the um, or sanguine about the reliability guarantee not coming into account. Not so much now, but in about ten years' time. Now, the reason I say this is because there are at least three things I can point to that are on the face of it far more important than the NEG in terms of driving new investment. The first of those is New South Wales coal replacement. Uh, Origin has officially announced that Araring will close in 2032 uh, at the latest, and Bayswater has been uh, announced to close by AGL uh, in 2035. Those two stations alone are about 50% of New South Wales's current supply at the moment. And, and their closure is, and there will be a reliability requirement triggered if new generation is not built in front of them. The next, uh, so I estimate that in New South Wales, about 42 terawatt hours, which is about 20% for, as, a, as a way of thinking about it, of NEM demand is, is going to need to be replaced over the next 10 years, more or less, maybe 14 years. The second thing I'd point to is the Queensland renewable target. They're calling for 50% renewables. Uh, If you take that at face value by 2030, and if it's achieved, that will take 22 terawatt hours of renewables over and above what I forecast has already been built in the state. And the third thing is the Victorian renewable target, uh, which would be about four and a half terawatt hours. Uh, Now, as against that, so you can add all that up, and I add it up to be 69 uh, terawatt hours, uh, of new new investment demand, or about 22 gigawatts if it was all done from wind and solar. And of course, we will need to put in some firming generation to go with that. And that firming generation, to the extent it's not gas, will actually increase and further increase the demand for wind and solar. 
And we can put against that the NEG requirement, which is about, I estimate, 2 gigawatts. So we've got 22 gigawatts required by these other three factors and 2 gigawatts required by the NEG requirement. So in a sense, although the NEG has the, the most... Uh, um, 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 struggling for the right word here, the most legal authority in some ways. It's arguably the least, by far the least important, only 10% as important as the other three drivers put together. Well, thanks for that, David. Look, Dylan, I had a couple of questions for you, but first of all, I might just ask you what you say in response to David's uh, proposition that it does play a minor role. It's not really that important considering everything else that's going on. Well, I'd start off by saying if, if you, the idea of the NEG was to get uh, energy policy off the front page of the paper. It's, it's been an absolutely dismal failure. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I, I guess I'd be more, uh, I guess, concerned, not so much that it, it will do little, but that it could actually be detrimental. Um, and this sort of comes back to, I think it was Mark Butler who said, you know, that they'll be looking to make sure that the NEG does no harm. And it's not clear to me in its current formulation that it actually will do no harm. Um, I, I completely accept that, um, you know, in terms of driving you know, more renewable energy or you know, low emissions technology into the system, we have the Victorian renewable energy target. We have the, you know, the Queensland renewable energy target, which are, are much more, um, uh, you know, important on the, I guess, the pool side. Uh, I'd be a bit more, I'd be a bit worried about what what the neg could potentially mean in terms of actually, um, you know, doing no harm. Well, let's get into that then. And for those who didn't um, hear, we did do an interview with Mark Butler last week, the Labor climate change per spokesman, who made exactly that point. He thought that the best they could get out of the NEG was to make sure that it does no harm. But Dylan, you've had a bit of a look at the release of this report, which came out at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, which I've got to say is usually when institutions and governments hang out their dirty washing. And renew a bit. Renew economy is a little bit miffed because, unlike other media, we were not afforded the courtesy of an embargoed copy. So we had to cobble together something very late, and uh, we're not too sure quite why that was the case in the inst in, in the interest of transparency, etc. But Dave, Dylan, give us a give us a rundown of some of the things that concerned you from this document because I think we had been working in a positive direction, but you're a bit worried that we've actually had a couple of steps backwards now. Yeah, perhaps not necessarily step backwards, but just. Uh you know, issues that weren't resolved in a, in a way that I, I thought were, you know, particularly uh, beneficial for the system or the market. And one, my, my specific concerns are predominantly around um, uh, transparency and, and competition. And, you know, as you might be able to tell from, from OpenM and other things, I'm, I'm quite a big advocate of transparency and, and uh, you know, accountability. And there's a few things, particularly around how this registry uh, is shaping up to work that are potentially, I think, problematic. Um, so yeah, there's there's sort of um, some issues on that side, but there's also issues around, uh, I guess, but there's also issues around, uh, I guess, additionality and the ability of you know, corporate PPA uh, deals or um, you know individuals to, to do stuff that is additional um, to the the, the the federally set um, uh, emissions target. I just want to explore that a little bit too, because this is a little bit about the unders and overs of a retailer or even a corporate uh, buyer who may go may beat the current the targeted emissions intensity by a considerable margin. Now they can carry over some of that overperformance, but there's a bit of a rule here, isn't there, that kind of explains that if they do 
overperform, they may have to make some of that available to other people in the market. In, in other sense, relieve them of the burden of having not performed. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there is a there is a you know a, a sort of idea here that if if someone does sort of you know, hoard or hold back their particular allocated generation, you know, if it exceeds what they are required to, to provide, then that means other um, other customers can't get access to that. Which, from an emissions perspective, is not necessarily a bad thing. But they may be fine. They may be sort of liable to, uh, let's say, civil penalties or some other kind of uh, enforcement for not making that uh, that that allocation available to other participants. And what's what's the actual impact of that then? Well, I guess it, it, if if you do have uh, you know whether it's companies or uh, retailers who who might want to go above what is I think a, a fairly uh, meagre target on a, on a on the federal scale by by any measure, then they could be potentially um, um, at you know at a detriment uh, for doing so. You've mentioned too about the repository or the, uh, I think that's what's called the registry, sorry. Uh, the registry. Yes, yes the re- right. registry. Uh, you're worried that it may repeat some of the er- errors that we saw in the LGC market, which is the um, the certificates that um, that are generated and accounted for under the renewable energy target. Yeah, that's right. So so at the as it's currently sort of uh, set out in the, in the document, it, you know, the registry will only be accessible to market customers and generators. Um, so it will be sort of behind closed doors or you know, behind the scenes. And, and that means that sort of like the, the, um, the LGC market, which, um, you know, it can be, you know, the liable, liable entities under that, which are also the gen tailors or the, the retailers, they can acquit their liability to that scheme. Um, you know, behind the scenes to the clean energy regulator, and we end up having the current the current market where the spot price and uh, you know all, all of the visible information about the LGC market is actually only a very small fraction of the market. It's only about I think ten percent actually gets traded through the public registry, and the rest of it all happens behind the scenes. There's no price discovery, and it gives a, a lot of power. For back to the or you know keeps a lot of the power with the um, the companies that are able to uh, you know sign contracts hmm. david i'd like to bring you in here and, and perhaps have a conversation but all three of us together about this uh, do you think it's looking more and more like an emissions intensity scheme i know we're not supposed to say things like that because that would scare all the people on the back bench and this whole thing has been designed to get past the backbench of the coalition and uh, pretend it's not actually something that it might be one day but is it looking to you David more uh, more and more like an emissions intensity scheme? Um, what I'd say to start with Giles is that uh, your, your five o'clock on Friday comment reminded me of the old days in the stock market before the internet when we only had fax machines and uh, I worked at a stockbroker, Ord Minute was in those days, a very large one, and the guy working with me was covering Bond Corporation, which is in West Australia, two hours behind Sydney, and Bond Corporation had a lot of problems one year, and they started releasing their full year results, 200 pages on a fax at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I think it took it till about 7pm before the fax even finished coming through, and the guy was still there on Monday morning, as far as I know, trying to work out what it actually meant, but that's another story. <laughs> But a funny one that I remember to this day is even though it happened back in the 1980s. Look, I'm not sure about labels or emission intensity scheme. Uh, I don't actually think it matters. I think the question is whether the energy, as Dylan's raised some important points about the actual technical merits of the scheme. Uh, We certainly agree there's an oligopoly in the market. My fundamental question is, point is that the energy in and of itself is only a small part of the task that's in front of us. Uh, I think it was 
far from enough discussion about what's the best way of going things. And I think that the New South Wales coal replacement, see what I think is happening is that the new supply and if the Victorian and Queensland renewable targets are followed through, the new supply will force down the price in the pool market for a lot of the time and tend to bring forward some of those coal replacements, particularly if the coal cost stays high. Uh, and it's not clear to me that an energy only market is going to ensure that the new supply and, and, the, and the planning that's required to decarbonise and deal with all of this has been done properly. Uh, I come back to a point I've made many times before that a better policy might have been to consider some form of capacity market uh, to ensure that new supply is built in advance of these closures and that uh, the best way of doing a capacity market is in fact something like the VRET uh, and is, as has been done in Queensland and that New South Wales in particular where all the problems are where you know the aluminium smelter uh, Matt Howell is still complaining quite rightly that he's been dealt a bum hand by effectively not having an effective state policy. Dylan? Um, I guess I'm I'm a little bit more hesitant about you know a dramatic intervention like a capacity market. I'm uh, you know that's not to say that our system is is by all means perfect, but um you know capacity markets have have their issues as well. Um, you know there's um, there's yeah. Well, it's certainly the case that the Australian energy market operator is interested in having a bunch of other mechanisms in place. It wants the RERT, the uh, emergency reserve uh, allocation, to be put in place and become permanent. It wants a day-ahead market. There's a bit of pushback from many people in the market about that. What, what's your take on those propositions? I guess in the short term, it's, it hasn't been demonstrated that, that there, there is a strong need to, um, to have a day-ahead market. It, it, that's my perspective. Um, I, like this is a very much a, a, a common feature in US markets and European markets, for example. But I mean, we do have a fairly sophisticated process here. You know, we have this pre-dispatch process and the and the P five minute process that happens at AEMO that that does serve some of the same functions as um, as day head markets do in other other jurisdictions. So I'm less I'm less convinced that the, the, I'm less convinced that the the case has actually been made for for introducing this uh, at the moment. Uh, you know, I'm always open to to my mind being changed, but mm. at the moment, I don't think the case for for something like that ha has been sufficiently made. So, so Dylan, can I ask you? Let's say that um, the Araring closure is suddenly brought forward from 2032 to 2030 for the sake of argument, and doesn't have to be formally announced until therefore 2027, um, and 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 then the the pool price will clearly stay low right up until the day, or won't change until the day it actually closes. For, uh, and you'd expect futures prices to rise in anticipation of that closure and that would uh, provide the price signal for the new generation. Is that kind of the way you see it working? Apologies, I, I missed the last bit of what you uh, asked there. <laughs> uh, just to repeat it again, uh, the, I, I guess if, if Iraring, say, closure which was brought forward to 2030, they announced it in 2027, the spot price stays low because it's still operating, but I guess the futures price goes up and you think that futures price is enough to introduce the, induce the appropriate amount of both variable renewable energy and firming supply? Uh, yes, uh, in theory, I think that 
that is exactly what should or could happen. Whether or not that does is another thing, and that comes back to questions around, uh, I guess, market concentration and the the, the sort of um, vertical integration. Um, I mean, th I think that the the egg is already uh, well and truly scrambled on this, and it won't be unscrambled. But I I'm firmly of the belief that allowing vertical integration was a very big mistake, um, and you know that was never a, in, an intention of. The national electricity market in the uh, initial design there was strict separation between retail and generation and uh, I, I think if we still had that and we had deep forward liquid markets then yes i, I think that is quite possible that we you, you know that, that would serve its function but because we have uh you know the the sort of vertically integrated you know duopoly or oligopoly um that means that the 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 transparency the sort of uh, or the price discovery that occurs through the forward markets is actually significantly muted uh, because so much of the the hedging actually occurs internally and and i uh, you know that's a very difficult challenge to actually fix now uh but i i think that that is exactly how you could see something uh, unfolding in the future and, and so what, to me, I can't see how you can get a price signal. See, I look now for um, uh, pumped hydro, for instance. I can't see anyone taking the risk around building a merchant pumped hydro station because it, it, it is just too risky. And it's not clear enough that you won't get competition that forces down your returns. And to me, it would be far better if the government or someone was to step in and, and uh, essentially guarantee it and provide the low cost of capital, which is the main driver of the cost of electricity for nearly all of these technologies in the long term. I guess with, uh, with all storage technologies, the, the thing to look at there is not, not actually the, the baseload futures or the peak load futures, but the cap market. Um, and, and I think there are, there are um, uh, certainly battery providers looking at the, the cap market. Uh, and you know, there's lots of interesting new products coming out, um, uh, lots of interesting new products coming out. Um, uh, I see contract, which is basically structured around the, um, the shape of um, um, solar production. That's the, the shape of the bathtub. The, the, the sort of inside of the bathtub is, is the- um, it's, the in, it's the inverse of the solar, right. solar production curve, but it's only a two year contract as I understand. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's. I mean, I don't know much of the detail around uh, around the current uh, thinking, but th I think there are there is quite a bit of innovation in this space and some you know interesting thinking. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not entirely ready to um, um, uh, jump onto the the capacity market, uh, I guess, bandwagon yet. But you know, if if things don't improve or if things uh, deteriorate further, then then. Uh, obviously, we have to start thinking about different ways to, to bring new capacity into the system. See, I, I think that you just still get price competition in capacity markets in, in the tendering process. I expect the bids produced uh, under the VRET uh, will be relatively low. Um, and I would argue that I, I see all the problems of the vertical integration, but I also see that the size of Origin and AGL means that they can strike uh, very attractive prices and I'd cite Stockyard Hill and uh, the AGL Cooper's, Cooper's wind farm as ex examples where they've been able to drive very good prices. It's just a question, I guess, of whether consumers end up seeing the benefit. Yeah, I guess, I, I guess I'd say it, it basically just comes back to a question of risk allocation and, where, and where, who, who should carry the risk. And um, if it is governments or if it is um, you know, consumers, then um, perhaps you know, that's, that's where capacity markets might um, 
be useful, but uh, I, I think at the moment um, th that case hasn't been made, uh, and it, you know I, I think the um, there is price signals there. I mean, you can certainly see the price effect of um, solar in all of the markets these days. Um, there is, I think it's a it's a bit inaccurate in my view to say that there isn't a price signal for um, you know different different technologies. It's just a matter of you know whether or not they will actually uh, uh, result in in the new capacity that's required. Getting back to the National Energy Guarantee, Dylan, we're going to be inundated with another 10 technical and working papers over the next week. I think they might even all land on Friday and possibly even at five o'clock again. What hope do you have then for Mark, Buster, Mark Butler's bold goal of the NEG doing no harm by the time it's finalised in August? Well, I guess you know anything's possible. Well, there's a lot of a lot of issues I think that need to be addressed, though. Uh, you know, some of them is um, some of them are, as we've talked about, the the uh, additionality kind of potential issue there, um, which you know has been flagged in the paper. The you know with the um, the green power uh, sort of section, um, and you know the 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 issues around market power could be more fully, I guess, uh, explained or. Um, uh, communicated, but another issue that hasn't particularly been at least dealt with in my mind is is the sort of leftovers problem. So you know, there has actually been a bit of a market change in in how they uh, were uh, you know thinking about allocating emissions in the first place. And so initially, or sort of until recently, there was this idea that the controlling corporation would be automatically allocated their emissions so if you know if you think in the case of um, Loyang A or uh, Energy Australia's um, Yulon that means the emissions from those plants would automatically be owned to would automatically have been allocated to the, the sort of controlling corporation now that that in itself I, I think actually had had some problems and it's it's um, not a bad thing that they're not doing that but the issue that that was trying to address has still not been resolved, and that is this sort of leftover problem that the, these generators, these highly intensive uh, emissions intensive generators, are just going to be left in the registry, because as as the as it's sort of currently set, uh, all, all everything is unallocated at the start of the compliance period. So the question is, who on earth is going to have the emissions of uh, your lawn or uh, you know Loyang B? voluntarily uh, allocated to their load. Um, so these will get left in the registry. That in and of itself may not be a problem because that will, um, that will I guess, incentivise or basically encourage people to not be left in the registry. So that, that I suspect that's the direction that the, the ESB is coming from with that, to, to sort of encourage people to, to not be left um, in the registry, but that in and of itself actually plays into the hands of the gentailers and the, the sort of um, the concentration that the concentrated players, because now there's an, a sort of an increased, uh, um, I guess, incentive or requirement to basically um, uh, contract. So yeah, that 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 issue is still, I think, in my mind, not resolved, um, and, and needs a bit more a bit more thought than we've currently seen. Another issue that I think we could uh, mention is international credits. That's not the ESB's fault. That's arguably the federal government's. But uh, you know, it's Australia's trying to reduce its emissions, not uh, not not we're not trying to reduce the rest of the world's emissions. And we've seen all the fraud that took place before uh, with international trading. And uh, so, personally, I'm uh, quite against allowing international units. 
just seems though that it's incredibly complex very hard to get your mind around and the risk is that there's going to be these little landmines everywhere which may serve what was feared in the first place of actually erecting sort of unintended well you'd hope they'd be unintended barriers to actually moving forward with this energy transition yep yep so david dylan oh <laughs> uh, yeah i mean yeah it's 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 just um you know it's hard not to be i guess a bit just disappointed or despondent about the whole process uh, here particularly when you had you know after the finkel review you you got to remember that everyone everyone signed on to that except perhaps the monash forum like the all of the states signed on to that the labor party signed on to that and basically the liberal party signed on to that ex- except for the monash forum and and it sort of seems like there's there's such a, a a dance going on to appease a very small fraction of of the um the body politic and it's it's incredibly frustrating um and yeah, very disappointing we're, we're and, just going through this frankly depressing well it is isn't it because we're just going through this extraordinary calisthenics all the way back from sort of denying <laughs> back from sort of denying or accepting climate science from killing the carbon price which is a perfect um, mechanism and um, and policy to have to try to pretend to have all these other things and finally we're getting to this and uh, try to rush through this incredibly complex design to try and pretend it doesn't look like something that's already been rejected and put it into place so and that's uh, my complaint you know this is something that looks simple it's like a thought bubble that was announced with about 48 hours notice or so it seems and without the proper forethought and without the proper contemplation of what is the right policy to decarbonize the economy in the long term and and what is the policy to uh, is is the current energy only design really the best way of replacing the coal generation which is going to close in new south wales and by the way includes also your lawn and gladstone and tarong are all stations that will close in the next 10 to 15 years all have to be replaced uh, whilst keeping electricity prices manageable for not just households but industrial uses and keeping reliability at the levels that we've come to expect in Australia. Can you say the NEG is an, and the energy only market are the, enough policy tools to achieve that? And I personally doubt it. Do you want a word? I guess I, I would say that I think there's that, that Irish joke that's, you know, if you want to get to. Edinburgh, you wouldn't start from here, and, and I—that's uh, uh, a fantastic joke. It's a Welsh joke, Dylan, and I and some professor told that to me when I was leaving at our school graduation dinner. So it's a great joke, and one of these days, when it's not on a podcast, we'll have to tell it to each other again. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, thank thank you very much, guys. Look, I had to call an end to it here. We've done about half an hour. We've managed to speak about the National Energy Guarantee for all of those 30 minutes. I do appreciate you joining us, Dylan. Um, congratulations on your work with the Climate and Energy College, and thank you very much for the open NEM and all the graphs that you've sent us. <laughs> no worries. Glad Good. And I thought that was a great discussion, Dylan, to point out some of these technical issues that are, that are very important. No worries. Thanks. Uh, excellent. And look, thanks to our sponsors, uh, Watchers and Solaray Energy. And I'd like to thank all our listeners too. Please go onto your favourite platform, tell your friends about it, leave a review. Uh, thanks for your comments about the number of ums I've been having in my presentation. And I'm working to reduce the number. And I think this new microphone may or may not help, but we'll see. We'll be back next week. Thank you very much. Bye bye. So, Charles, it was the microphone that was umming, was it? That's exactly right. It wasn't my fault. So I'll have to listen back to this one and see what happened there. 
Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solaray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatches, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.